It's time for the Alien Conspiracy Podcast. We are your hosts, Agent ETA, Agent Ether, and Agent Anderson. Come along as we examine UFO sightings, conspiracies, and all things strange. You can follow the show on Twitter at AlienConPod. We also have an email address, AlienConPod at ProtonMail.com. We would love to hear from you, questions, comments, or anything else you have to say. And don't forget to check us out on Discord for live shows. This week's episode, Men in Black. Hell not, yeah. Not the comic book, not the movie, not even the porn. We're talking about porn. the mysterious... Government? Of course there's a porn. A, well, I, actually, I don't know that to be a fact. Come I'm on. guessing there is, though. <laughs> oh, there has to be. There yeah. always is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, many people know this from the 1997 Will Smith, um, Tommy Lee Jones movie. And uh, but by, by the way, I was reading about that movie earlier, and they originally wanted to cast uh, David Schwimmer, you know, from Friends as, um, as uh, Will Smith's character. Uh, really? I was like, what? Like, that, yeah. I, I don't dislike that guy, but Will Smith was so good in that movie that I can't imagine anybody else playing that role. That's, you know, that's how good he was in that role. But yeah, so the movie and the pop culture stuff is actually based on real reports that have sort of worked their way into popular culture over the years. It's true. And when Agent Anderson told me that was the topic we were going to do today, I changed my mind about coming on. And I was like, <laughs> I want to come on. I don't want to miss the men in black. Yeah. She said, ah, I don't want to come on. It's hot and I'm sleepy. And I said, pretty much. We're doing the men in black. She said, oh, okay. I could probably make that. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's, let's give a shout out to our live audience here. We got so far, we got pimp Simpins, Bronco, Zach, Aussie, Mima, and donut slayer. I also saw Grayscaling pop in there for a second, but they're not, people will tend Is to pop Aussie? in and out throughout the show. But that's who we got right now. And if you want to listen to us live, you can do so on Discord. It's basically a chat room where you can interact with the hosts and other people, you know, people who listen to the show or anybody really wants to come in. And we've got different chat rooms for whatever topic. And if there's not a topic, we can just make a new chat room. Not a big deal. And it has a feature where we can do live a live stage and you can listen in as we record and hear all the wonderful things I edit out of the show normally, like Agent ETA's farts. <laughs> Oh, joy. Mm -hmm. I'm not making that up. He really does fart into the <laughs> mic sometimes. <laughs> okay. So the, the men in black are connected to many, many UFO cases. And as you go through the certain cases, you'll see that people will report either men in black in the classical sense, being that they're wearing actually wearing black or some kind of government agent that basically tells them to hush up and knock it off. Uh, so it's usually between one to three men or sometimes women, or a mix of men and women. It depends on, you know, the, the statements vary quite a lot between witnesses. They're generally dressed in plain clothes or military uniforms or any number of strange costumes. And they're often described as, being, as there being something wrong or slightly out of place with their outfit. For example, somebody in a military uniform might be wearing tennis shoes instead of the regular military dress shoes. Or there's some other detail about their uniform that doesn't quite make sense for that outfit. Like maybe they're wearing the wrong type of t-shirt or who knows what. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes the witness describes them as being human. Other times they're described as aliens 
disguised as human, and I'm sure we'll get to some of those accounts later. They're often described as sounding like robotic or monotonous, and they sometimes communicate using telepathic communications. And I heard their facial, their facial features don't change either. Yeah. They remain very unemotional. Yeah, they mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. Yeah. They basically their method of operation is they visit UFO witnesses and tell them not to talk about their encounters. Usually threats are made, evidence is confiscated, and then they leave, mysteriously, sometimes vanishing into thin air. They're usually described as driving old black luxury cars that look new, such as like a Cadillac from the 1950s or something like that. But even a witness oh, accounts from car. like the 90s or whatever will say that they look like that style of Cadillac, but they look like they're brand new. Strange detail, I guess, right? The accounts That's a good themselves, detail. You know, they had, they had good taste. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. They got, they got some nice Cadillacs from back in the day. I would like one myself. I just don't feel like Hell maintaining yeah. them. <laughs> Maybe there's nothing special about the men in black. We're just so used to people dressing down that the fact that somebody is dressing up and going out in their special little caddy yeah. just trips us. You trips see somebody, us out. Yeah, you see somebody in the suit, you're like, wow, he must be doing something important. You know, right. <laughs> nobody dresses like that anymore. Mm-hmm. So the accounts themselves vary from the mundane, such as, you know, an Air Force agent asking somebody to not talk about some sort of event, to the completely fantastic, you know, involving psychic phenomenon and levitation. And time travel. Time, yeah, mystic, magical type stuff. So there, I mean, there's a wide, wide variety of accounts. And it yeah. sort of seems like the whole thing is sort of blown up into a sort of mythology of its own you know, that sort of surrounds the topics of UFOs and the supernatural, but it's kind of become its own thing. Many cases involve what might be considered uh, the men in black. Probably the earliest, maybe the earliest, so one of the earliest, maybe the earliest, was the Maury Island incident in 1947. You've probably heard us talking a little bit about this show, a little bit about this event on the show before. Harold Dahl, one of the witnesses in the Maury Island incident, claimed a man in a dark suit told him not to talk about his UFO sighting. After this visit, Dahl came out and said that the whole thing was actually a hoax. He later, many years later, came out and said that that wasn't true. He was just saying it was a hoax because he was scared by the encounter with the men in black. Edward Ruppel talks about this case in his book, and we'll probably get around to doing a case file on it eventually because, well, there, there was like... Kenneth Arnold was involved of the, you know, flying saucer fame. And there's some cloak and dagger spying type stuff going on, like with hotel rooms being bugged and lots of other stuff. It's a really interesting case. Even if it does end up being a hoax, it's still a really fascinating case. And I'd like to do a file, um, a file, like to do a show on it sooner or later. But, but the, probably the case that started, maybe started it in the mainstream that popularized it was the encounter by Albert Bender. This one took place in Bridgeport. Albert Bender was a World War II veteran, ufologist, and author. He founded the International Flying Saucer Bureau in 1952. The club had hundreds of members, some of them famous, such as the World War I flying ace and CEO Eddie Rickenbacker. Bender abruptly closed the IFSB, possibly the first major civilian UFO club in 1953, after he was visited by the MIB. He later told the story of his encounter in the book Flying Saucers and the Three Men, which was published in 1962. 
Now, that's an interesting date because there's actually a book published before then that also popularized the MIB, but supposedly there were local papers that he reported to that carried his story in 1952 and 1953. So that was the local newspapers was probably the first printed printed reports of the men in black. And the, uh, the other book, they knew too much about flying saucers, which came out a little bit later was probably the first, you know, widely distributed book about or printed, you know, thing about, uh, the men in black. But anyways, Bender stated, uh, Bender started having strange experiences after he founded the club, He received strange phone calls and telepathic messages, and these coincided with UFO sightings in Connecticut. Albert often felt like he was being watched. One time in November 1952, he saw a man with glowing eyes watching him outside of a movie theater. At some point, his attic started to smell like burning sulfur, and over time, a yellow mist appeared. In 1953, he was visited by three men at his home. They were all dressed in black clothes and looked like clergymen. They wore hats similar to the Homburg style. And this is a hat that kind of looks like a bowler hat or something. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's an old-fashioned hat. It used to be very popular back in that day. They showed Very him some common kind of, occurrence in these stories. Yeah, if you look at pictures from that era, you see tons of people wearing these hats. I had to look it up, though, because, I mean, Humber- I have no idea. Homburg style? What is that? I don't, I've never heard that before. Well, I was, I was just talking about, like, uh, within, like, the, all the different accounts that people have given of, of uh, men in black, quote-unquote. Yeah. A lot of times they're wearing that, like, that bowler-style hat. Yeah. So they showed him some kind of credential that indicated that they were some kind of important people, and they told him telepathically that he needed to stop all involvement with UFOs especially publishing his newsletters that he published through his organization. They wanted him to also get rid of his club. They took copies of Space Review, which is the the note, the um, thing that he published through his club. Uh, they took that from his house, and then they disappeared in a yellow fog. Bender was frightened mm. by the encounter and unable to eat for several days. He closed down his club, and the final newsletter said, The mystery of the flying saucers is no longer a mystery. The source is already known, but any information about this is being withheld by orders from a higher source. We would like to print the full story in Space Review, but because of the nature of the information, we have been advised in the negative. We advise those engaged in saucer work to be very cautious. And that was sort of his last word, and he closed up this pretty successful organization that had hundreds of members, and he said it was because he was frightened by the men in black. But who knows? And then they knew too much about flying saucers by Gary Barker was published. I didn't write down the year. I want to say it was like 1956 or something like that. So it was a few years before, you know, before Bender's book, but it probably contributed quite a lot to the whole mythology of the MIB. And it described, you know, the classic stuff that we're used to hearing nowadays, but all right. So I got more encounters to describe, but why don't we go next ETA? Do you want to go next with your encounter? Oh, why sure? Why not? Yeah. All right. So my encounter is the the Dr. Hopkins encounter, uh, I guess you could say, right? That's pretty much the official name for it, I would suppose. Um, so this encounter happened with a, a Dobber, uh, <laughs> Dobber, edit, a Dr. Herbert Hopkins. And um, it happened on September 11th, 11th 1976 at a, around 8 p.m. on a Saturday. So this one is a very interesting one, and it holds a lot of similarities with a lot of the other encounters that you might uh, be able to find online and stuff. And um, but it, like, it, it, like to me, it's like it's like a good 
like a really good bad movie almost. It kind of reminds <laughs> me of that. You ever seen those like a uh, movie, those movie reviews where it's like it's so bad it's good? Yeah, you know, it's it's, it's it, too, almost, or... and I I couldn't tell you why exactly, but yeah, we like it, it kind of reminds me of one of those type of things, you know, those. Uh, but like, all right, so uh, Doctor <laughs> Doctor Hopkins had been had been working. What? <laughs> yeah, one one of our, one of our cryptids, one of our one of our dogs <laughs> snuck up on an aging ether here, <laughs> and she jumped. She jumped out of her chair. <laughs> No, I'm pretty sure I've posted pictures of this dog before in Discord. He's a nine-pound Yorkie, so <laughs> he's a but little he's tiny, nice. sneaky. He's a little tiny dog. He's he's the cutest thing ever. And <laughs> imagining him scaring anybody is just—it's pretty ridiculous. So, <laughs> like, I thought maybe she was having a heart attack or. I'll post I'll post a picture of him in Discord while ETA is is describing the rest of his encounter so you guys can see. And you tell me, is this is this a terrifying beast or is this, you know, a cute little puppy? Little puppy dog. Right. Yeah. Sorry for the interruption, ETA. <laughs> that's, that's all right. <laughs> Worth it. Yeah. Um so all right, so yeah. Um so Dr. Hopkins had been working w- with uh, this guy David Stevens, um, and he had, David Stevens. The the that whole UFO case was basically a, a UFO um, abduction case that happened on I was I think it was in October of 1975, and um, so so Dr. Dr. Hopkins was putting him under you know uh, hypnosis and and getting him to recount stuff that happened while he blacked out uh, you know during the abduction, and. Um, so uh, he had tape recordings of that and stuff. And this is uh, the reason why I'm saying this is because this, this uh, seems to be the specific reason why he was uh, um, visited by a quote unquote man in black. So um, like I said, on September 11th, 1976, uh, Dr. Hopkins, um, who usually spent a lot of time with his family and stuff and didn't leave home a whole lot, uh, his family actually ended up going to the drive-in movie theater. And uh, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to find this out. I was actually kind of trying to find out like what movie did they go watch? You know, was it, was like an, you know, an alien movie or something, you know, that would have been cool. But um, so at any rate, uh, Dr. Hopkins, like I'm going mostly off an interview that I heard of Dr. Hopkins um, detailing this, uh, this whole entire event from beginning to end. Um, so he said himself, like he doesn't watch movies really, like if he's going to watch anything, he wants it to be something that has some kind of information to it, something that he'll actually learn from. He'd rather read a book or something like that than go like waste time watching a movie. Basically the guy, I mean, you could tell like, like while listening to him talk and such, um, you can tell he's definitely an, uh, it seems to me at least, uh, to be an in- intellectual, you know, and, um, he has this kind of long winded way of, uh, of describing things, you know what I mean? And, and, um, but I, I did in, uh, enjoy listening to the interview, you know. But uh, so at any rate, his family goes, uh, his wife, his son, and his son's wife go to the drive-in movie theater to, to watch a movie. He stays at home, and um, he receives a call from a man that claims to be the uh, vice president of the New Jersey UFO Research Organization, which uh, later on in the interview he says um, – you know, they he researched that and found out that that organization doesn't even exist. You know, so that that was fictitious to begin with. But um, 
So, uh, you know, he's, this guy claims that he wants to ask him, you know, some questions about the Stevens case and such and says, you know, can I come by tonight? And he says, yeah, you know, that's, that's uh, no big deal. You can come on by. I'll answer whatever questions you want. So, um, after he hangs up the phone with this fella, uh, he goes, uh, to the front entryway to, to turn on lights for him, uh, so he can see, you know, himself, uh, up the stairs. And, um, so when he goes there, uh, to turn on the lights, the guy, the guy is already walking up to the door and, um, uh, Dr. Hopkins actually states afterwards, like that was, you know, very odd because, well, obviously it's right away, you know, and they didn't have, you know, you know, cell phones back then, you know? And, uh, he actually even says like the closest house, like even if you were next door, uh, or across the street, whatever it may have been, there's no way you could have made it to the, to his door that fast, you know? So he, and he, he talks, you know, in, in some length about this during the, during the interview. And, um, so, so, uh, that's the first odd, odd, big red flag. So, uh, he lets the guy in and, um, he actually didn't even get the guy's name the entire time. And he, he, uh, he talks about this also. He's usually a, a more, much more careful man than that. He will ask questions, you know, who, who he's dealing with. He wants to know exactly who he's dealing with. And he, you know, he says this very, pretty much the exact same thing in the interview. And, um, so, so, uh, I mean, obviously the interview is given with hindsight, so he's describing everything and, you know, you know, with, a with, a you know, what he has learned from the incident, you know, and how he has reacted, reacted towards it. But so he lets the guy in and, um, they, they go into his uh, living room. They, they sit down and, uh, he, he says that the guy was dressed very like, uh, I don't think he used the word slick, but, um, very neat. And, and very, very tidy, you know what I mean? That he was wearing a black suit. And um, a lot of people describe, you know, the black suit with the white shirt. But this guy said he actually had a dark blue shirt, which is just a little bit off from like the normal stereotypical description of a, a man in black. But um, so he was uh, wearing the, the, the black suit uh, and he described it as being like, like having like fresh like creases, like on the pants and stuff. Uh, looked like uh, somebody had just stepped into those clothes and, you know, they had never, never been worn. They're still very fresh, you know. Like and brand even when new. the guy sat down, he said like the crew, brand spanking yeah. new. Yeah. Even when the guy sat down, um, he said that, that, you know, his creases still didn't like move. Like they stayed perfect, you know. At any rate, they, they sit down and start talking. Um, and the guy basically is asking Dr. Hopkins about the Stevens case major, uh, mostly. And he described the guy as like looking a little bit off, like uh, his body didn't fill out the suit quite well. And his face was very like, like featureless. Uh, he had a nose, but it was a very small nose. And it was, it was like, you know, kind of like a pug nose is what he described it as. He says the, the guy had like um, um, no hair. Well, by the way, when he sat down, he took off a bowler hat. He was wearing a black bowler hat. And, um, he had no hair, no eyebrows, no eyelashes. He said the guy had like uh like uh weird eyes, but like also at the same time like um unassuming eyes. There wasn't really a whole lot of detail to them. He just like said that they were like dark eyes, you know, but he could tell that there was, you know, uh, some some something going on there like like uh, differences in colors, but he said that, that it was kind of hard to see, I suppose. Uh but so the guy was also wearing um, bright red lipstick, 
on like a like just a slit of a mouth is what uh, Dr. Hopkins described it as. Very small, like 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 hardly any lips at all. You know what I mean? But he was wearing red lipstick to you know fit in to blend in a little bit. You know, is, is you know what I gather from that. And uh, during one point in the interview, uh, he wiped his uh, his mouth and like a smear of red, red lipstick uh, wiped off, off in the guy's hand. Well, on his glove, the 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 man in black was wearing like a white glove. And um, the Dr. Hopkins in the interview said something kind of funny. Like it, it was, uh, he said, like when he saw that, he was kind of like, "Oh shit, what the hell? This guy's this guy's uh, wearing lipstick. Is he? He's some, you know. He, well, he must be some kind of a queer." Yes, <laughs> I remember hearing that. I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> you can't say that nowadays." You know, like it's it, that could be <laughs> offensive. You know? Yeah. Well, he said it back then. Yeah. Yeah, he he said it back. Well, obviously, back in those days, it was much more taboo, you know. Yeah. But but um, so like the whole the 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 guy's whole like like a uh, package that he was like you know presenting like seemed to be like well molded, um, you know, for for some kind of a specific intent. Uh, it, it seems to be like that the the description that I hear, basically, my opinion, it seems like he was describing quite possibly like an alien that was just trying to fit in that looked very similar to us to begin with, but you know it was you know had had some you know uh, you know d- you know stuff that he had done to try to fit in like the lipstick you know who knows if he was wearing some uh, eyeshadow or some you know a little little bit of makeup on the uh, cheeks or something like that but he looked perfectly but, uh, normal. So the guy spoke in a. He looked perfectly normal until that lipstick rubbed Except off, and that, didn't. that destroyed the entire illusion. You know, he rubbed a little corn off, yeah. like, "Oh my god, what is this thing? <laughs> well, That's the, not a person." <laughs> I think it was just like another really big red flag for this guy, you know. So, mm-hmm. like the whole the whole situation wasn't wasn't adding up. And, and um, but he said that he he answered all his questions and stuff, and he didn't actually uh, talk that much. He was just. Uh, leading the conversation on to find out more and more. Uh, but at the same time, uh, um, Dr. Hopkins says that he had this like uh, feeling of like, this guy already knows all this information. Like I'll, everything I'm telling him, he already knows, you know? So, so like, what, like, why is he even here? You know, but that, that's kind of like a, a foresight type thought that he had. Yeah. It sounds to me like in the interview, you know, it's one of those things he thought about after afterwards, but, um, so, uh, so at any rate, the, uh, the, the man tells Dr. Hopkins at some point in the interview that, uh, Hey, you have two coins in your left pocket. And I guess Dr. Hopkins had, uh, you know, finished paying the paper boy earlier that day. And that's why he had those two coins left in his pocket. He had a, he had a, uh, um, a penny. What was it? A penny and a, uh, a dime, I think. A penny. Anyways. So, uh, he told him, pull out one of the coins and he happened to pull out the penny. It was a bigger coin, so it was the easier one to fish out of his pocket. And he said, hold it in your palm. And um, he made him put it right in the middle of his palm. And he said, watch the coin. And uh, afterwards, um, Dr. Hopkins actually stated in this interview, like, he doesn't know why he didn't, but he didn't look up at the man the whole time to see, like, what he was doing. He was just, like, just fixated on the coin. And so he, he says that uh, he held the uh, coin in his palm and um, the, uh, the the coin started to like develop like a, a silver type color, then a bluish color, and then it got real fuzzy, and it actually like kind of started like more so turning into a ball. But the whole time it was like dematerializing, and and like slowly and steadily the coin basically just just disappeared. And um, 
you know, he, he was obviously flabbergasted by that. Very, very, uh, you know, like, like what the holy hell, you know, like just happened right in front of me in my hand. Right. Like, um, and then like after that, um, he was, he was, uh, he, he basically told the guy or told, uh, told, uh, Dr. Hopkins, Hey, uh, you need to get rid of all this, like everything that you have uh, relating to the Stevens case, everything that you have that has anything to do with UFOs or anything like that. You need to get rid of it, you know? And um, he, then he asked him, Hey, do you know who uh, Betty and Barney Hill is? And we've actually done a case on Betty and Barney Hill. It's one of our earlier cases. And I find that that situation or that uh, encounter to be very interesting. It's one of the, the classics, you know what I mean? And, um, he asked him, do you know how uh, Barney Hill died? And he's like, well, I think it was like, a, you know, it was like a brain hemorrhage or something like that. He's like, no, he, he, uh, he had no heart. You know, he said, just as you have no coin now, he had no heart. And so he, he threatened Dr. Hopkins with that, saying basically, you know, we'll kill you if you don't get rid of all this stuff. And he also said, like, uh, while he was threatening him, um, like we'll know when you get rid of everything. Like he wasn't he wasn't very specific about like what he had to get rid of, but just you have to get rid of freaking everything, all the tapes and everything like that, and everything that you have related to anything UFO. And so um, he had tapes of the Stevens case, um, and he he demagnetized them and then uh, cut them up into uh, little pieces and stuff, and and uh, he burned everything else pretty much, uh, from what I understand. And uh, so, I mean, the guy, the guy obviously scared the holy hell out of, out of the doctor there, the good doctor, you know. I, I'm kind of creeped out, so. <laughs> right, right. And I mean, yeah, it, so, like, yeah, the, uh, he, he, he did what the guy said to do. And um, it's still funny, I, I, like, uh, listening to, the, to him in the interview, like, he, he keeps on, like, mentioning, like, like, I didn't even ask the guy's name. I didn't, you know, like, basically... Like he, that's not like me. And like, uh, the way he acted throughout this whole interaction, he says like, it wasn't like him, it, it, you know, like he keeps on like kind of touching on that throughout the interview. And, um, it's, it's, uh, it's funny. It's almost like he, like he, I think that the, the doctor thinks like maybe he might have been like influenced in some way to act a certain way, you know, to, to be more, uh, you know, uh, to, easier to work with or what have you, you know, as far as like somebody, you know, finding out information, asking you questions and stuff like that. Uh, but so after the guy leaves or, um, right before the guy leaves, uh, the doctor actually notices like the guy is not like, it doesn't, he's not necessarily getting tired, but he's slowing down a little bit. And, um, the guy, uh, basically gets up at the end of the, uh, the, uh, the interview and says, my energy is running low, must go now. And so he, he, you know, they walks him out towards the door, goes, goes out the door. And, um, the guy actually ends up like walking, like, like through like shrubbery, like an opposite way that he, uh, then, then which he, uh, he originally came to the house towards the house. And, um, he says like, uh, he walks around a corner, uh, and then, then, uh, the doctor sees like a really bright light. And, um, as soon as he goes to the window, to like try to look out that direction to see what the hell this is. Is, is it a car? Is it, what is it? Uh, the light just disappears. The guy's gone. The light's gone. Whatever vehicle, if it was a vehicle that, you know, like that produced that light, just completely gone. Um, him and his son, after his family had gotten home, actually went out like to the driveway 
and looked to see if there was any evidence. And he said that he saw like these like 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 little caterpillar tracks, like you know from like a caterpillar, like a earth mover or something like that. But it was like really small though. And um, he says like the way that the the um, driveway was like oriented was like it, it it didn't look like a tire track for sure, and um, it didn't look like like a, a snowmobile track or anything like that that he was aware of that he was f- familiar with. Um, and then, um, you know, it, it, it just looked, looked very odd to him. Um, the next day it was gone and he said they, they had no weather, they had no rain or wind or anything like that. So it, it should have still been there, but the, he says that the next day it was just gone. And, uh, you know, it's another little red flag, I guess that he brings up, but yeah, this, uh, you know, that this, uh, oh, you know, there's one thing I actually forgot to mention about that penny. Uh, the, the penny that the the man in black made disappear. He he said um, that this basically uh, this penny is no longer on this plane of reality. Is like like what he described uh, as as happening to the penny. I guess you know. Like he shifted but, it uh, to another dimension. Uh, this whole case. Yeah, another plane of reality or some shit. Yeah, yeah dude. I, and I, th- this, this is why this is like one of my favorite cases when it comes to like the men in black is because there's uh you have all the damn, uh, like, like, like details and stuff, you know, like, like it has all the, uh, the, the, the check, the, the boxes checked off, you know, like it's, it's like a stereotypical case, but it has like a little bit more, you know, but it's, it's, uh, I find it entertaining, you know, it's a, I don't know, it's a, it's a cool, it's a cool case. If it is real, then, um, holy shit, like the world we think we live in is not, not the one we think, or not, not what it is, you know, like. Yeah, no, it, yeah, it's definitely a weird story. Yeah, and I mean, that's pretty, that, that's it. Like, if you listen to his interview, the guy sounds like he's being genuine, but it's such a, such a crazy story. It's, it sounds like science fiction. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's really bizarre, but it, either way, whether or not you believe it, it's still a good story. It's a good fun time, whether or not you think it's actually happened, you know? Yeah. I feel like maybe he had like a bad yeah. trip or something, you know, like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just this story that happened in his head. And like Agent ETA said, if it's real, oh, that would affect me like for the rest of my life. Like, right. I wouldn't be able to function oh, yeah. on a normal level. Yeah. Well, and it's also one reason why like I question like, like well, why would he? Why would he even like give an interview about this this incident? You know, if yeah. you're that scared about what this guy said, then you wouldn't. I wouldn't be talking about it. Yeah, that's. that's I don't know. It's it's that's sort of the the thing about the Men in Black is that <laughs> what what they're attempting to do is totally ineffective because if they were actually good at making people quiet and silencing witnesses, then we wouldn't even know the Men in Black exist. But we do. People talk about them. So mm-hmm. uh, maybe their objective is something else, but they certainly are not good at silencing people. Or maybe they're a lot more prevalent than we even know about. Yeah, that's maybe only a handful of people talk about them. Yeah. 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 But, you know, they're definitely a possibility. I think I think they're bluffing because, you know, if you talked about them and published books about them, they would follow through and make your heart disappear. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Yeah. <laughs> but all right. So is that, uh, you, you finished with that particular story? Yeah. I, yeah. I think that's pretty much what I had on it. Yeah. Okay. Agent Ether, how would you like to go next? I will 
go next. All right, let's hear it. All right, you guys are doing the men in black, but Agent Anderson suggested I do women in black. Yeah. Not because I'm being woke, but because well, <laughs> there are women in black. Well, it is kind of interesting. There are varying accounts, and some of those accounts involve women, even though, you know, mostly, mostly usually men. they're depicted as men, but there are accounts with women. So, well, this whole this whole idea of women in black, it predates the flying saucer era. I mean, there's a lot of like rumors and lore surrounding women dressed in black, like in Virginia and areas around there. There were tales of women haunting men who were like, you know, doing morally questionable acts like cheating on their their wives. And even before that, women in black were purported to and go to people who had encountered something that was supernatural and warn them away from whatever it was. And sometimes it was pixies or fairies or witchcraft. They would come in and almost haunt these people. Um, and it's kind of evolved over time. And I think that there's very little connection between that kind of lore and the standard like the new idea of the women in black yeah so if you compare them to what we're we're talking about which is the traditional men in black i don't know how much bearing that has on it that's just what i you know kind of came across and the women in black you know they're similar in manner and in dress they often appear after ufo and alien sightings but there's been other strange incidents and occurrences with these women that go beyond uh, UFO, UFO sightings. Um, for example, there in the 1980s or late 1990s, there was this huge to-do over in the UK with this phantom social workers or PSW event. And this was uh, multiple occasions. These women who were very pale and dressed in black, sometimes with men, would come into the homes of families and threaten to take their kids away for child abuse. And witnesses say that when these women came into their homes, they would be filled with like terror and dread, like an amount that wasn't proportionate to the threat. I mean, it's it's hard when there's somebody's telling you, oh, I'm gonna take your kid, but it was almost supernatural, the feelings that they were experiencing. Hmm. Interesting. But this became pretty publicly known. And so, you know, a lot of people, they think that this was going to be some sort of mass kidnapping event where children were going to be kidnapped. But very quickly, word spread. And then the phantom social workers were seen no more. And this was such a problem that the police actually launched a major investigation in 1990, and it was known as Operation Child Care. And it was very large, and there were 23 separate police forces that participated. And they, they gathered their reports and witness statements, and criminologists came in, and they interviewed, you know, social workers, and n no arrests were made. They weren't able to find any information, and, you know, they disbanded uh, with no arrests. No arrests. They couldn't figure it out. Weird. I, w I wonder, yeah, it sounds almost like like a, one of these kidnapping rings where yeah, maybe it wasn't maybe anything supernatural. Rings. Maybe it was just shenanigans. 
Yeah, it it could very well be. It's just it was interesting the descriptions they were given of of these women being very pale and wearing, you know, dressed in in black and then that supernatural feeling of terror and dread that witnesses described. Yeah, that's certainly not normal. No, definitely not. And this is kind of similar. There was an earlier wave of sightings in the 1960s. There was ah, these female census takers, and they would go around and ask like normal questions, like how many people are in your family and what's your income and that sort of thing. And this was mostly around Point Pleasant in West Virginia, right around the time of the Mothman. Oh, yeah. You beat me to it. That one's <laughs> in my notes. So they would force their way, like almost force their way into the homes of people who had been witnesses. And they would ask their typical questions, but then they'd start asking about like, is there telephone interference? Is there strange phenomena? Have you been having weird dreams? Have you had any sightings? Do you know anybody who's had any sightings of these mothmen? Yeah, if there's... Somebody you don't like, you know, throw them under the bus. <laughs> yes, yeah, that that jerk that works at the Radio Shack, you know. <laughs> yeah, they saw him. <laughs> Go bug him. Do you have anything else to add to the 1960 census takers phenomena? Uh, not the census takers, no. But I do have um, a quote from the Mothman in general from that area. So there were some witnesses who saw the who reported seeing the Mothman were questioned by some MIB. And they told them not to talk about their sighting. And here's a quote from one witness who says, The MIB wore black suits, black hats, and sunglasses. They drove black cars, Cadillacs, I think. They looked like human beings, but their skin was somewhat transparent. You could see the veins in their hands very clearly. Their fingers were longer than a normal person's fingers as well. Daddy shook hands with them, and he said they were awkward at shaking hands. They seemed to not know what to do or how to shake hands. One of the cars would follow us around. There were three men in the car. The MIB went so far as to follow us through the drive through of a restaurant. We were afraid to turn around and just looked at the mirror, just looked in the mirror at them. So that's just a little quote for one of the witnesses in the Mothman sighting describing, you know, what they saw. But there were, there, surprisingly, there were witnesses to the Mothman event who claimed to be harassed by the MIB. So that's what I had on the this little thing on the Just Mothman. A blurb. I mean, you could do a lot Maybe more than that, but there's so much to so many different cases to talk about that I only did a little bit on each one. You know, I looked around at different cases, and I found two more that I just thought were interesting. So I just picked two, and one of them was an anomaly during a 1920s Charlie Chaplin movie, The Circus. And so there's this. Oh yes. Hold on, or. Dogs are going crazy. Wow, they're going nuts out there. Yeah, hold on. Wouldn't that be cool if while we're recording this, there's just like saw a dude in a black suit and a bowler hat just staring in the window at us? No. No, that would not be no. cool at all. <laughs> yeah, I agree with it. Agent Ether there. Yeah. <laughs> I probably shit myself yeah. a little bit, at least a little es- bit. Especially if he didn't you didn't see him like walk across the window. You just looked you looked away at your notes, and then you look back over at the window and he's standing there. That'd be pretty crazy. Yeah. No, thank I'd be you. scared. I'd be scared shitless for about two seconds until I reached like a, I don't know. I usually have a weapon within 
a couple <laughs> feet of me, but we'll, you know, if it burns my house, it so, dies. Yes. <laughs> Dare I continue? But, I mean, from yeah. the sounds, from the sounds of, from the sounds of some of the abilities that some of these guys have, though, I, I don't think a, a gun would help you. No, I don't think so. All right, Agent right. Ether. So one interesting thing I found was during a 1920s Charlie Chaplin movie called The Circus, there's footage and it shows this old lady in a black coat and hat with very large black shoes, like not proportionate to what her feet size should be. It's very hot. I think it's in in New York, uh, just a blistering hot day. And she's all wrapped up and she's holding something to her ear and appearing to be talking as she's oh, yeah, walking. Seen this hmm. Yeah, and you can go. You can actually go and watch this movie and you can look and see and spy this uh, little woman in black. Who is she? What's she doing? <laughs> no one knows. So she has like a cell phone? Yeah, that's that's the idea is that she Weird. might have a cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. Kind some of people a, some some people think that she's a, t- a time traveler. Time traveler, yeah. Yeah. I think my my favorite photo of the time traveler type stuff was I saw there was one going around the internet of a still image taken from a Mike Tyson fight. There's a Mike Tyson versus oh, yes. Holyfield. And that was the one I was thinking of too. Yeah, there's somebody who looks like they're holding like an iPhone in the you know in the crowd, and if you look at it, it looks it looks like a cell phone. It looks really interesting, but unfortunately, somebody did debunk it, and they found that it was a particular type of Logitech camera, I believe, and they found the exact model. And you're like, oh damn it, that's it. That's that's what it looks like. It's not an iPhone. Well, crap. <laughs> I, was, I was kind of bummed out, but at the same time, it's still a really fun picture and a really fun story. I think there's a painting too, like an old like Renaissance painting where it appears there's a gal and she's holding some sort of advanced device. There are a lot of strange things in Renaissance or other paintings, like, you know, flying saucers in the background. People, nah, it's just a lenticular mm-hmm. cloud. Look, that's not a cloud. Look at that thing. It's a flying saucer, right? In, in this Renaissance painting. It's just, we maybe do an episode about that stuff some oh, other time. Oh, I would love to do an episode That'd be cool. about strange things and like art. Yeah. That'd be fun. That, that would be fun. All right. So the other thing I wanted to talk about briefly was this incident in 1987. There's this guy, Bruce Lee, not... The Bruce Lee? Because I was reading through this <laughs> account and I was like, wait, the Bruce Lee? No. No, he's just an editor in New York for I think like the Morrow is what it said, Morrow Publishing Company. And he was at a bookstore with his wife when he noticed someone come in. It was a short woman dressed all in black. She had a black wool hat, a black scarf and black sunglasses. And again, it was very hot out. And she was small. She was under five feet tall. And she came in with a male companion. And she and her partner went directly into the store, directly to a bookshelf, and picked a book right off of it and started reading it. And it happened to be a book about like a recent UFO encounter by a witness. I think it was called like Companions. And They were like laughing about different entries and they were saying things like, well, this is wrong. (laughs) He got this part (laughs) wrong and just kind of, you know, giggling and being creepy. And it just so happened that his company had published the book. So he knew something about it. So he went over to, to talk to them 
And when he got there, he said he looked down at the woman and she had huge almond eyes, like not normal eyes. No. And he described them. Like anime eyes? Well, I don't know. He described them as mad dog eyes. Like maybe like a gray alien, like like that? I don't know. It just said they were large and and larger than they should be and almond shaped. So creepy. That is creepy. Creepy. And he and his wife got a little creeped out, as I would too, and they they fled the store. (laughs) They ran out? (laughs) <laughs> ran out. <laughs> oh my god, she's got she's got big eyes. Let's get the hell out of here. It's like screw this, we're going home. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know, there's not a ton out there for recent sightings about women in black. I guess there's not a ton of Are there a lot of modern sightings of men in black? Yes, there are. Uh, as far as women in black goes, there is a Nick, I believe, I think it's a Nick Redfern book, a whole book on the women in black. I haven't read it, but I saw it earlier when I was reading about stuff. Maybe I'll link to it. I don't know. Yeah, what the heck? I'll link to it. Link's in the description. (laughs) (laughs) This is an affiliate link. Your purchase and all that stuff. So is that that your encounters there, Agent Ether? Yeah, well, I assume you're going to talk about uh, the Bender family. Uh, Well, I I talked about Bender earlier briefly. Yeah, briefly. Uh, Did you have more on Bender? Well, I just wanted to mention that in some places I found that there was a family ghost story. So the Bender family had a type of ghost story, like a family ghost story that his mother related to him. And it was a story about a distant cousin who lived off, you know, somewhere, um, And it was near a mine shaft where a girl had apparently committed suicide by slitting her own throat. And they think it was this girl who would haunt the family. She would just like appear in the window, all dressed in black. She would float around and appear randomly. And in general, you know, just kind of freak the family out. And this was like... Fifteen would, would she, years before I, I, I the. A, uh, I got a question. Yeah. Which would, would she also like float float around and say, "Get rid of any and all evidence you have no. relating to <laughs> UFOs." So. Stop talking about the UFOs. No, it's kind of unrelated, <laughs> but still, I thought it was interesting because you're talking about you know a family who's experienced something supernatural, and this definitely mm-hmm. qualifies as something that is also. Supernatural, so yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's a lot you could go into with uh, Mr. Bender. There, there's yeah. Uh, you, we could probably do a whole episode on just him easily, but I mean, I wanted to touch mm-hmm. on a lot of these things because there's a lot of interesting cases that I wanted oh, yeah. to talk about. Okay, why don't you talk about some of them? Well, all right, okay. I will. So there's one that I found <laughs> that I'm not sure why this is grouped in with the MIB, but here we go. Uh, some people report phantom meter readers. So in some places, the meters, like the electric meter or whatever, gas meter, they're actually in your basement. Where we live, it's on the side of our house. So they don't actually have to, they could just come and look at it if they want. They don't have to like knock on our door. But in some places, they actually have to knock on your door and you you let them in and they go in your basement to read the meter. Or at least they used to do that. Probably everything's, you know, the smart meters nowadays. But digitized. Yeah. They used to have to actually go in and actually read your meter to see how much electricity you'd used. So some places, there are some encounters where people reported a phantom meter reader. They would come in, they'd go into the basement, close the door, and never come out. 
the people, the witnesses would go check on them a couple hours later, and either they would just be completely gone, having disappeared out of a basement with no other exits, and that, you know, they had seen the door the whole time, like they were watching TV or whatever, and they could see the door, or they were standing there just looking at the inside of the door, and they open it up, and they're just standing there staring at them. (laughs) Freaky. Freaking, freaking freaky, dude. Yeah. That's not weird. <laughs> so that's just a little one, little blurb on that. The phantom meter readers. Like, I'm not sure what that has to do with men in black from what I saw, but it was creepy. So I took some notes on it. You know, why not? Uh, so some more modern one, as Ether was asking, some witnesses to the Tic Tac or Nimitz case, you know, the that big famous familiar case that I'm sure everybody's heard of, which we haven't done an episode on yet. I'm not sure why. I just haven't gotten around to it, but we probably should. It's a pretty big deal. But some of the witnesses said that two men confiscated the video evidence and told witnesses not to talk about the event. So there's a more more recent one for you. And you could go look at uh, individual witness statements who said that if you want. But that, that case in and of itself is a whole can of worms that you could do many, many episodes on, you know, touching on, um, you know, Tom DeLonge and, uh, you know, to the Stars Academy and you know, Lou Elizondo and just on and on and on. There's so much to that case. Oh yeah. yeah. Old Lou. Yeah. Old, old, old Lou it boy there. All right. So the, there, there was an interesting, another interesting one I found by the godfather of the show himself, Dan Aykroyd claims to have had an encounter <laughs> with the men in black, man in black, not men. It was just one while taping an episode of a show about the paranormal he was he took a break to go outside and take a phone call. By the way, the phone call was supposed to be from Britney Spears. I mean, you know, who knows, but he he saw a black Ford parked across the street. A tall man got out and stared at him. He turned away for a moment and when he turned back, the car and man were both gone. When he returned back inside, he got the news that his show was canceled and he was forced to stop shooting immediately. And he thinks that this was a some sort of warning about him because you know Dan Aykroyd. If anybody familiar with him, he's you know as um, as as Joe Rogan said, balls deep into the you know UFO topic. Yeah, he is all in. <laughs> he's all in. All yeah. in on everything. <laughs> so yeah, so the, he said this is sort of a warning, and you know people doubt it. And he says, you know, I know what I saw. It was weird, and the timing of when his show was canceled immediately after that encounter. He thinks that it was, you know, some sort of message or something or a, a men in black encounter, even though they didn't come and talk to him and they didn't tell him specifically to knock it off. Maybe they didn't have to because a guy like Dan Aykroyd is going to be well aware of any sort of MIB encounters and he'll mm-hmm. know what the score is, you know. It's such a matrixy wonder, moment, you know, where yeah. maybe you even doubt yourself. I feel like if I had something like that happen to me, I could see how I would just erase it from my memory. You kind of just glitch out and you're just like, well, I don't know. Did that really happen? It must not have really happened. Right. And you just forget about it. Yeah. I'm just wondering if that Ford that that guy stepped out of, if that Ford was a LTD or not, because that would just be perfect. Because that was was the kind of Ford that uh, the men in black in the movies, they they drove a Ford LTD. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I I thought it was a Lincoln. No, no. Was it a Ford? Okay. Nope. Yeah. All right. LTD. Sweet. Yeah. Pretty sure. He, he didn't say I, specifically. I, I, at least not that I saw. 
I'll be very embarrassed if I'm wrong about that. But I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's a Ford LTD. Well, we could Google it later, I'm sure. All right. So those are the encounters I, that I, I took am notes right on. now. Oh, you're got you're Googling right now? Yeah. Those are the those are the encounters I took some brief notes on because you know, any one of those you could do quite a lot more on, but I I wanted to touch on many of them instead of going into depth on one or two of them. But there's a lot of theories as to what the men in black actually are. Everything from government agents to extraterrestrial beings with some sort of, you know, ulterior motive. One I saw was uh, apparently the king of the world lives underground in the hollow earth and sends the men in black out to do his bidding. Um, some people think it's the devil or some kind mm. of demon encounter. Mama and, said it's a devil. And it, hey, you know, by the way, I'm right. It was a Ford <laughs> LTD. Yeah, Ford LTD Crown Victoria. I don't know why I saw. I don't. For some reason, I thought it was a Lincoln, but I guess I was wrong. You know, we just rewatched that movie. Yeah, we did. I we've seen we, it recently. We just saw it. Yeah, I should. So I should have paid more attention to the car. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but I did find. I did Google what kind of watch they wear. It's a Hamilton. It's pretty pretty interesting looking watch. It's like a triangle type deal. You don't really get too many good close ups of it in the movie, so you have to kind of pause it and look. But uh, yeah, anyways, really good movie. I really enjoyed that movie. It's a fun one. But yeah, so whatever they are, I mean, there some of the accounts I find very, very plausible. They're just like, yeah, this guy from the Air Force came and said, don't talk about this. No threats. No, we're going to kill your kids or take your heart away mysteriously. We're just saying, hey, hey, don't talk about this, okay? Be a nice guy. Be a guy. You know, be a cool yeah. guy. Just don't talk about it. Be a good guy. Yeah. Those ones to me seem very, very believable. And then there are others that have, you know, they range from, you know, okay, maybe that happened to, wow, that is, uh, that's something else, you know? <laughs> and and mm -hmm. I, but a lot of these witnesses seem genuine and it's, it's hard to know which obviously some of them are probably fabricated, but it's really hard to tell sometimes which ones are and which ones aren't. So sometimes I like to just sort of sit back and enjoy the story rather than worrying too much about, you know, which ones are true, you know? Yeah, suspend disbelief a little yeah. bit. Yeah, because why not, man? Why no, not I have, have some fun? I have the credit song in my head from Men in Black. Here come the men in yeah, black. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh. <laughs> he, he throws a couple of those uhs in there, you know? He does, he does. Yeah. It's All good right. dancing. Well, any, any final thoughts, other agents? Well... Well, I was just thinking about all the videos I saw on YouTube where you too can see an actual man in black. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I looked at a couple of them and some of them are just like suits, you know, guys in suits. I'm not quite sure why they're, yeah. why they're so special. But like, Oh my God, I saw these two guys in the hotel lobby. <laughs> Here's a picture of them. Yeah. I'm like, well, yeah, they were probably going to a, a funeral or a job interview or yeah. who knows what. All right. Well, that's about it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening. You can really help us out by checking out the affiliate link in the description. This week, we've got Men in Black Toys. That's right. <laughs> you too can own your very own Neuralizer, Noisy Cricket, or Action Figure. There's, I'll just send, I'll put the link for, you know, just the general search rather than one of the items. So your purchase helps support the show and doesn't cost you anything extra. Keep it strange.